Hasta la vista, baby. Think I'm crying? There's no crying in baseball! I'll get you my pretty, and your little dog too! King Kong ain't got shit on me! It's showtime. Hello, everyone, and happy Thursday, and welcome to this week's episode of the Rewind It Back podcast. Joe and Dan are here tonight. How are you guys doing? Happy Thursday. Happy opening day as well. The baseball. Yeah, tough loss, but I did, but they played pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it's a long season. They'll go 161 and one this year. <laughs> um, so tonight, uh, we are doing one of my picks. We're continuing this um theme of older movies from across the decades. Tonight was my pick again. I chose to go back to 1957 to do the movie The Bridge Over, excuse me, The Bridge on the River Kwai. I always have undue anxiety when it comes to my picks and older movies. Um, I guess because I'm not as well versed as I am with uh, modern movies and, um, you know, from when I was born through the 90s and 2000s. So I'm going with this one because it's also one of my favorites of all time. It has been called one of the greatest films in motion picture history. Don't you realize how important it is to show these people that they can't break us in body or in spirit? You British prisoners have been chosen to build a bridge across the river Winner of seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Screenplay. Without law, Commander, there is no civilization. Here, there is no civilization. Then we have the opportunity to introduce it. From Sir David Lean, one of the most acclaimed directors of all time. Must we build them a better bridge than they could have built for themselves? Comes the motion picture event. This is just a game, this war. Experience it the way it was meant to be seen. Digitally restored and remastered in high definition. Is this your soldier's code? Murdering unarmed men. If we go on, we go on together. Blu-ray features include never-before-released footage and a 32-page production journal loaded with stories and photos, replicas of the original theatrical lobby cards, and a DVD version of the film. Have turned defeat into victory. Got to do it, boy. You've got to do it now. British officer, here to blow up the bridge. Blow up the bridge. The Bridge on the River Kwai. What have I done? Movie takes place during World War II. Allied POWs in the Japanese in a, in a Japanese internment camp. Uh, they're ordered to build a bridge to accommodate the uh, railway between Burma and Siam. Uh, their instinct is to sabotage the bridge, bridge, but under the leadership of Colonel Nelson, who is played by Alec Guinness, he also played Obi Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars films. Um, they were, have been persuaded by him to build the bridge uh, that it should be about more of a pride and spirit at first the the, the prisoners they had admired uh, Nicholson because he endures at one point a lot of torture for to not work uh, during wartime as a POW because it, it goes against the, the Geneva Convention so they're uh, under the uh, control of this Japanese commander Colonel Sato so they want them to finish building this bridge for them and Nicholson himself, after going through all this torture, I mean, he 
towards the end of the film, he sees it in his mind's eye as a collabor- collaboration with the uh, the enemy. So again, this is one of my favorite films of mine. I like it because I'm not a big war movie buff, and this place, this is a story during the time of war, but there's no actual fighting and, and war going on. It's more about um, the madness of war and pride, as we see in the Nicholson's character. He'd rather be tortured than to compromise his own principles. I forget how long he was in that um, that can that they called the... Uh, <laughs> I forget what they called it. <laughs> it was like basically being inside an oven for, I think, I, I think they said that he's in there for a month. But he'd rather be in there for a month and be just beat up. And um, he ends up, as I mentioned, collaborating with... Uh, the Colonel Sato there to help build the bridge because he, he sees it as that these they're the prisoners of war and they should be, have some pride in something. And that's how they'll be remembered. I don't know if either of you have ever saw it or if there's been some time since you've seen it, but um, watching it recently, what do you, what do you guys think of it? I had never seen it in full. I had seen bits and pieces of it throughout the years. I mean, it's probably Alec. It's probably, I'd say the most famous role of Alec Guinness beyond besides um, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original Star Wars franchise. Watching it in full now that I'm a little bit older, you know, you tend it as you pointed out, sort of highlights some of the uh behind the scenes stuff that you don't see in, you know, in in like the co- combat theater, like pride and you know, loyalty and, you know, let's say discipline is a big one. And I was I was intrigued by it now as an adult because it's you watch you watch how the soldiers responded to his leadership when he wasn't there they were just having a great time swimming in the river they're not doing anything sabotaging the bridge pylons just fall over cuz they're being poorly built to try to make their lives more um more enjoyable while in captivity and and nicholson shows up and he's like no you're soldiers you and you will act as such Right. If you think about what happened, once he kind of got them whipped into shape and was like, you're not prisoners, you're soldiers, act like it. They started building an actual bridge, a functional bridge. Before then, it was just a pile of sticks. I'm not sure if it's accurate, and maybe Dan can chime in on this, but I don't know if that's how all officers are in the military or if that's the level of, uh, of rigor and training and discipline that they're supposed to impart to their troops under their command. But it seems like he just stood up and like commanded the room, so to speak. And they just like, and they just followed along. Well, ironically, he he kind of got it all wrong. I mean, he, he did try to save his men and everything, but their main goal in captivity is escape and to block the enemy and stop the enemy from the best of their ability, which they didn't do either of those. He actually said no escaping, but uh, but to him, it was about his men. You know, keeping trying to keep them a cohesive unit. Because, like he even said, they kind of turned into a rabble when the Japanese were commanding them because they were blocking everything. But I guess at the same time, he wanted them to survive. Or it was just his own pride. I don't know. He was a complicated figure. And I think the complex nature of the of Nicholson is why this movie is so captivating and why you know he got the Academy Award in, in 1957 for this movie. Beyond all the other accolades that the movie got across both the U.S. and Britain and other other various countries, uh, film awards. His character was so it was like I won't say it was like two faced, right? But it was like he was a man entirely driven by principles, morals, and character. And then at the end, he kind of realizes, oh shit, 
I didn't accomplish anything other than keeping my men together. And then he kind of stumbles and dies. And it's just, it's like, it's so striking to see his convi- his level of conviction throughout this whole movie to building a damn bridge that's going to ultimately detract from the Allies' war efforts. But he was putting that British pride into it. Very odd character. Very strange in my view. Pride is a theme in this in this movie, and it shows on both Nicholson and Sato, and like they're so full of it that they that it's almost impossible for them to come to a civil conclusion with the problems they have with each other. The madness part of it is that Nicholson and the other uh, character uh, who ends up escaping from the internment camp. I mean, at one point in the movie that they're they're having a conversation, they're two prisoners of war, and they don't like want to help each other out. You know, instead they try to reach a separate goal, and they're both so stubborn that they're willing to die for it. Commander Shears, right? Commander, Commander. Shears, yes, <laughs> yeah. Who lied about uh, who 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 fudged his ranking and everything, all the all the all to survive. But hey, I mean, I guess that's what's it. What you got to do though, when you're. Well, uh... I th- but I think he had the right idea, though, right? If you think about, so Bill pointed out earlier in the show tonight that as part of the a Geneva Convention, officers. Were not supposed to be doing manual labor. That was for the enlisted men who were cap who were held prisoners of war. Officers were supposed to be, you know, doing administrative tasks, like leading their enlisted men in manual labor more than anything else. And I think Shears knew this, and tra- and, he's, and he, I think he said in the movie, he lied to get out of doing manual labor. So he was basically burying dead soldiers instead. Which yeah. is, I guess, and I guess it's a high level administrative task if you sort of boil it down. I don't know that much about history and war but dan did pow's have to like build bridges in during world war ii stuff like that maybe not maybe not as extreme but just you know no i mean uh, it's i think that's fairly accurate the way they portrayed it with the japanese the slave labor with uh all the prisoners of war you know they and they pointed out which is true that that group was singapore fell that was eighty thousand prisoners the japanese captured british and most of them ended up over in that that general area um some they did send back to japan but they were pretty much all used for for labor including officers but not that they would have captured that many officers Uh, frankly most of the airmen they captured were executed you know over bombing missions in japan so the death rate was astronomical for allied prisoners it was like 27 percent, something like that death rate for the british ours is a little lower but because we had what forget the number Batan twenty thousand captured something like that. But I think that is actually pretty accurate. And the, and in Saito too, I think that's pretty accurate from the standpoint of how they would oversee the camps, you know, pretty brutally. But he kind of showed too he was being held to you know his timeline. He needed to get the bridge up, so you could he showed the pressure on him. You know, he wanted the officers to work, but that was actually undermining the whole project because they weren't really cooperating, which is why he eventually gave in because he had to get the bridge up yeah. and we kind of had him by the balls. Yeah. See, I yeah. think he, I think he's the most interesting character of the mo- of the movie more than almost all. Okay. Maybe a little more than Nicholson because, you know, so one thing I know in Japanese culture, that's very honor driven and very family name driven. And at points throughout the movie, they talk about doing the ritual suicide or seppuku where the uh, condemned will stab himself in the stomach with a short sword disembowel himself. And that's because he dishonored his 
country at this case and you could see that his mental breakdown throughout the movie in yeah. the beginning of the movie he was a real strong hard ass you know you will do it my way or the highway i'll you know beat you to death i'll shoot you on sight whatever but then once nicholson sort of rose to the table and was like all right you're going to do this my way i'm a i'm a high-ranking british officer you're equivalent and he and once he saw nicholson get the results of the bridge going up and the troops really following his lead, you could see Saito start to like crumble, like crying in his hut and being basically subservient at dinner and letting the British sort of drive the meetings about the bridge and really having no authority over his own troops. It was really interesting to watch his his progression from start to finish and how he almost committed suicide. He was getting ready to do it at that one scene in the movie. He's sitting there on his knees in his in his kimono, getting ready to plunge his abdomen, and he doesn't. And then the bridge is an absolute failure at the end, and it's just you could see his his mental decline. It was that was that was pretty striking to me from start to finish. I did like that one scene where he's. Um... He it's like his last ditch effort to make Nicholson like just cave in and he gives him like this looks to be like a steak dinner and some whiskey. And he says, he's like, well, I'm not hungry. And then like he pours himself a glass of whiskey and then Sato or Saito, excuse me, ends up, you know, just pouring out his his stressors and uh, about how like if I if I if he doesn't f- finish this bridge, like you said, he's going to he has to kill himself. He's like, well, what would you do in a situation? And Al just goes. Well, if I were you, I'd kill myself. It's just again the cultural differences between between the UK and Japan are they couldn't be farther apart, right? I mean, you know, East versus West, obviously, of course, but the the level of honor or dishonor in Japanese culture with having to kill yourself, you know, willingly by plunging a sword into your stomach doesn't you know doesn't jive in the West for a lot of reasons. I was also reading some. Um behind the scenes stuff of the making of this movie so apparently while making this all the british actors were all fucking pissed about the movie and how it was written because it made it seem like it's it's an anti-british film the scene with where the bridge is is being done now there's finally some you know it's it's a it's a well-oiled machine now like it's the things are making progress they moved the bridge down the riverbank because there was um what's it called? The, the, there's like a river bank down there. It'll, it'll make the post more solid. Whereas yeah. they're basically digging in mud and eventually crumble in a couple of years. So the one officer asks Nicholson, he's like, he's like, well, why are we building this bridge? You know, or like, he's like, I, I feel like you want to build the best bridge possible, but you know, whose side are you really on? Fine job. Our chaps are doing really first rate. Yeah. How's he behaving? I must say he's been most reasonable since we took over. I wonder what he's thinking. I haven't the foggiest. Thanks, Reeves. Right, sir. What do you think? Quite a challenge, isn't it? Sir, are you convinced that building this bridge is a good idea? Are you serious? Yes, sir. A good idea? Take another look, Clifton. You don't agree that the men's morale is high, that discipline has been restored, that their condition has been improved? Are they a happier lot or aren't they? Yes, sir, but... They feed better and they are no longer abused or maltreated. That's all true. Well, then. Honestly, Clifton, there are times when I don't understand you at all. I'll try to make myself clear, sir. The fact is, what we're doing could be construed as... Forgive me, sir. Collaboration with the enemy. Perhaps even as treasonable activity. Are you all right, Clifton? 
We are prisoners of war. We haven't the right to refuse work. I understand that, sir. But must we work so well? Must we build them a better bridge than they could have built for themselves? If you had to operate on Saito, would you do your best or would you let him die? Would you prefer to see this battalion disintegrate in idleness? Would you have it said that our chaps can't do a proper job? Don't you realize how important it is to show these people that they can't break us in body or in spirit? Take a good look, Clifton. One day the war will be over. And I hope that the people who use this bridge in years to come will remember how it was built and who built it. Not a gang of slaves, but soldiers, British soldiers, Clifton, even in captivity. Yes, sir. You're a fine doctor, Clifton, but you've a lot to learn about the army. And that's a good scene right there because, and I could see, I could see how the British would kind of be like, oh, well, it makes us seem like we're we're traitors and we're backstabbers or anything. So um, some of the actors were, were pretty pissed off about it. So there was a very um, a negative environment and very hostile while making this film. And one of my favorite scenes that I found out that um, when Nicholson is standing on the complete bridge and he's just talking about his life, I think this is like the scene that won him the Oscar. But the the scene is like he has his back face to the camera. He's leaning over the edge of the bridge and he gives his, his, his speech there, his monologue. Tomorrow it will be 28 years to the day that I've been in the service. 28 years in peace and war. I don't suppose I've been at home more than 10 months in all that time. Still, it's been a good life. I love India. I wouldn't have had it any other way. But there are times... Suddenly you realize you're nearer the end than the beginning. And you wonder... You ask yourself... What the sum total of your life represents. What difference your being there at any time made to anything? Or if it made any difference at all, really? Particularly in comparison with other men's careers. I don't know whether that kind of thinking is very healthy, but I must admit I've had some thoughts on those lines from time to time. The reason why he has his back turned um, is basically his fuck you to the director. Which the, the director, by the way, is an amazing director. He, I forget what his name is, but he also did Lawrence of Arabia. He did Dr. Shivago. Great director, yeah. And then after that after that scene, after they're done film, filming that scene with Nicholson on the bridge and his monologue, the director basically said, all right, all you British can fuck off. I got to get some sleep because I'm working with Americans tomorrow. <laughs> Yay, America. So, so Dan, I know you're, um, you're a big war buff. I know you like uh, you know older movies too, so... Uh, What's uh? I'm dying to know what your uh, what were your review is on this. I've always loved this movie. I've seen it countless times. To your point, though, it's not not a true war movie. You know, it is more the, really about the prisoner of war aspect of it. But at the same time, like I said, I think they do a good job. You know, as far as how the prisoners were treated and everything, and you know, and everything's fairly historically accurate. Obviously, the entire thing's fictional, but most of the happenings in the movie were true to form. You know, the, the commando thing's pretty cool, which probably totally made up. I don't, I mean, there was commando units. I don't know if they did any actual bridge raids um, like that. But the point, it was hard though, early in the war before they had the bigger, better bombers and more forward bases, they really couldn't get to those targets. So it was harder until later in the war. I like William Holden in it. We're going to talk about him. They got him obviously to, for the draw, which worked. 
he ended up what getting ten percent of the movie, and he was getting or he got three hundred thousand on the front end, and I think he was getting kickbacks. I forget what he was getting. He was very smart, basically, is what you're telling me. So obviously, look, if, if William Holden was smart and he did a smaller paycheck up front and took the the royalty or the you know long term option, you know, I suspect that he probably uh, made very well for himself over the course of uh over the course of his time on the movie so i can't i wouldn't complain too much about that whatsoever this is an all-around great movie i don't i mean i don't watch it every year i watch it every every couple of years and but when i saw that it was on hbo i was like i i gotta bring this to the table for the uh for the podcast but again i i'm not really i'll watch war movies i don't really um some of them don't have rewatchability for me for personal reasons like i i've seen saving private ryan great movie for what it is but it's a little too much with me and as far as uh the war aspect with sure. blood and gore and everything i do I'll, i will watch platoon even though there's some you know upsetting scenes in that but um this one is just it's it's really not it's just a story during wartime there's no there's not that much killing in it and there's no torturing or anything like that um i just think it's a it's a really good story great movie i think it won best picture also for best director i I think it won like seven out of the eight Oscars it was nominated for. But um, I did find out that this was based off of a book, too. So I think at some point I'm going to have to go to my local library and uh, and read it. Yeah. I mean, as far as I mean, as far as war movies go, I mean, I do find it. I do find this, you know, very different than, you know, the, like the Thin Red Line or Saving Private Ryan, which were more focused on a little bit. Of, I won't say shock and awe, but. A more gritty depiction of combat in, or being dropped in a combat zone, having to fight your way out. This was sort of the sort of like the mental chess match between two commanding officers, one trying to save his own ass and really not concerned about his men, mostly just himself and his, you know, again, Japanese traditions of honor and duty to your country. A British officer entirely worried about saving the lives of his men and instilling in them the discipline to just if you cooperate we'll get we'll all get out of this alive but if you keep doing what you're doing and being basically slovenly and making a bridge it doesn't work we're all going to get killed and so his entire focus was his men and not himself which i find very which is again honorable but you know but you could see how one could look at that and be like he's obsessed now with building this stupid bridge because it doesn't, because it advances his cause, but it also advances the enemy's cause in parallel. It keeps his men alive, but at what cost? And I think that gets lost in this movie a little bit. In his monologue scene, like he even talks about how, uh, come tomorrow when the you know train finally crosses the bridge, he said that tomorrow will be, how many years did he think he said? Like twenty eight years in the service. <laughs> yeah. and, and he said he's in those twenty eight years. He's only been home like ten months. So like he, you can kind of see like this. He has no like legacy back home. So this building this bridge is his legacy. Yeah. Um, and then at the very end of the movie, when they end up, when Shears and a couple of um, you know, his band of men that he has end up putting, uh, I guess it was, I don't know, C four or something around the uh, yep. the around the bridge to blow it up when the train crosses. They start freaking out because they Nicholson actually sees the the cables in the river because the river went down overnight. You can see the cables, and they think this British officer, one of them, is going to sabotage this whole mission. And you know, at the very end, like he, the you Nicholson has that that moment, that scene, that like, oh, what have I done with the bridge? Because he realizes that like he was working with the enemy the whole time. So yeah. he loses his shit 
and then he realizes that he messed up. And and the, but the funny thing is, like during this movie, like that that parallel of trying to save his men but also helping the enemy, it gets lost in the fall because the movie kind of goes back and forth between at the it's sort of in the middle of the movie, it, you know, they're building the bridge and doing their thing, and then you know Shears eventually you know washes ashore like in Burma or somewhere and gets nursed back to health and then becomes a British commando because he lied to the U.S. government and lied to the troops about his being an officer. So he he gets redeployed back on the island. He was trying to escape the whole time. And he um, has to try to fight his way through to try to blow up the bridge. And so definitely um, interesting parallels with advancing the enemy versus advancing the cause of the troops. And, you know, and, and it wasn't clear about those roles until the very end when sort of the explosions happened and, you know, and Nichols and had his own like, oh, shit moment. It's good to see that he stumbled onto the detonator plunger and it's amazing the two starring roles william holden and uh alec guinness they only have what two scenes together for yeah maybe a minute total two minutes and, yeah. yeah it's two parallel films almost right from, almost yeah i think it's one of the things i like about it him escaping and then coming back and reconverge <laughs> at the end coming back is a um, a nice way of basing force back <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, he got caught with it he got caught with his pants down Literally, yeah. <laughs> he was He's banging like, every every nurse he could find. It was hysterical. I like. I did like the his comic relief though, and, and he and he had some good points too. Like it's like throughout the movie, for our listeners who haven't seen it, he's a you know relatively brash American soldier who has sort of no like unlike the British soldiers who are focused on honor, duty, loyalty, all that British you know God save the king stuff. We don't do that in America, and. And so, and you could tell that when he was interacting with the British officers, he was a, he his attitude about loyalty and duty was very different, and he wanted out of this place as soon as he could get out, no matter who was coming with him. Because in the beginning of the movie, he's burying his 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 comrades in a in like a makeshift graveyard at the front of the camp, and that sucks. And so he wanted out of there, and he didn't care how he got out of there. And he had, and really his duty loyalty sort of ended at, you know, I'm a, I'm a soldier and I went out. It didn't persist. Unlike the British soldiers who kind of worked their asses off once they uh, got organized to build the bridge. So I liked his, I liked the way that they, we, that, that the director and the screenwriter weaved in this American with unapologetic views about duty and loyalty contrast to the British who were all about that stuff. And then his comic relief, he's pretty funny throughout the movie and when he needed to be. Because the movie, beyond the few comic scenes with Shears, is a drama in many respects. It's, you know, it's, it has, it's, you know, the mental anguish of being in a prisoner of war and duty and all this other, all this other sort of heavy stuff. And he was a nice lighthearted take. And a great character in the film, too, is the, uh, the doctor, Major Clifton, mm. uh, James Donald. I thought he was really good. He kind of, he even says twice, you know, if they're crazy, well, his commander and the Japanese commander, he's talking to one of the other Japanese officers. And then he has the famous ending scene, you know, when he sees it all goes down and just says madness. I mean, I think it was pretty clear that, you know, he was really just a doctor who got like conscripted. Like he wasn't an actual like military person. Well, right. And that's usually yeah. always the case. Yeah. Especially more too. And so he was just a 
a, a regular doctor or maybe like a surgeon who just you know didn't really see the the value of what they were doing and couldn't understand the whole duty loyalty concept and it showed throughout the movie because he definitely thought they were all nuts both sides yeah. oh he he got he had front row, row tickets to watch the uh, carnage unfold yeah the medical hut was not far from where where all the action happened so and he actually played the commanding officer in the movie the great escape oh i didn't know that probably the best prisoner war movie ever made yeah uh, and william holden yeah. also played in stalag 17 which is probably also up there as one of the great prisoner war movies feels like a lot of typecasting in this deck in, in these decades yeah <laughs> <laughs> makes a lot of sense honestly you find your ticket you know what works you know keep keep getting the cash and paychecks no, but yeah, just so, the way all the characters are weaved together was just so interesting in this movie. I mean, Alec Guinness with, uh, I think, if, I forget the actor's name who played Saito, but he, uh, you know, some some famous Japanese actor. And then Suze Hayaka. Yeah, I, I believe, I believe, if I remember right, he's like some big shot Japanese actor. And then with Shears and with Clifton all kind of weave together, you get all these differing personalities, differing perspectives on what they're doing and why they're there. It makes for a very complicated and complex movie, which is why it did so well. All, all the dynamics were layered perfectly. It wasn't like there was just one movie the whole time. As you said, Dan, there's like several movies happening at once in this movie. And each character could have been their own movie with the way they're viewing the war and viewing the war effort that they're in. It won seven Academy Awards, I believe. Out of out of eight, no, that's out of eight, yes. <laughs> Keep it moving. I mean, I imagine it's probably like the highest gross movie of that of that year. It's got to be close. I already told you my um, my favorite scenes of the movie. Any scenes you guys like particular that we haven't discussed? If I had to, if I had to pick one scene in this movie that kind of that for me stands out, it's really in the beginning when uh, when Nicholson stands up to Saito and just says, "You know, go fuck yourself," <laughs> right? And then he gets beat up for it and put in put in the hot box. Like that, that, yeah. stand, that, that, that just stands out to me is just like, all right, a lesser person would have caved in. If you think about what he was doing, like he was literally sitting in a, um, a, like a corrugated metal box in the blazing sun of Southeast Asia for a month. Yeah. A, a person with less conviction and less moral fiber or moral turpitude would have given up on like day two. He, he, but, just, <laughs> he flashes the Geneva con- convention a little. He carries it in his pocket. In his pocket. And he just flashes. He's like, well, he's, you know, right so here exactly. on page so like, 49. So the subtle humor of that scene, but also the the strong conviction of Alec Guinness to stand up and say, no, we're doing it this way because it's proper and British and boppish and all that crap you think people say about British people well, it worked here. So I think that's why this. I, so I think that's why that scene for me stood out in the beginning. Not that it didn't happen throughout the movie the entire time when he just kept, you know, directing traffic like air traffic control, but right in the beginning when a lesser officer would have crumbled, that was nice. Yeah, all around one of my favorite movies in the category of uh, masterpieces, I think. Oh, it's got yeah. I put that yeah. in there with like I put that in the same box as like Lawrence of Arabia and Doctor Shivago, Brief Encounter. I mean, I do it's know this movie's in the Library of Congress as one of the as one of those like you know, premier, you know, specimens of mo- of modern filmmaking. Yeah, it's all in there. I mean, I mean, this this movie captures everything in one two hour and forty two minute movie. <laughs> yeah, 
It's very long for our listeners who haven't seen it before. And normally on this show, we talk about things being too long or too short or, you know, a movie that could have been a half hour shorter, like some of the Arnold movies, for example. But with this movie, I think the length was appropriate and justified. I don't. And now I'm thinking about it. I don't see where you'd make significant cuts in order to keep the story going. Like, I think if you, if you were to cut out, let's say, you know, them meandering in the jungle to try to get back to the island and, you know, being being helped by all those uh, all those women carrying baskets of water and food and stuff. Maybe you could have cut a little bit of that. But I mean, I think every sort of chapter of this movie is well defined. And I think you need every chapter to tell a story. Agreed. I kind of feel like whenever I watch this movie, I always feel like I'm kind of watching Planet of the Apes because like you got you got this guy, like the original one, like Charles. Yes, with, yes okay. like he's, okay. he's captured and like his his, his the uh, their POWs, they're enslaved to do all this labor. And like, he, you know, Charlton Heston puts up a fight in the beginning, like, fuck you guys. I'm not working with <laughs> you. And then at the, at the like throughout the movie goes, he ends up befriending everyone. And then until the end, we find out that they've. The, you know the the world blew up and you know he, right. he realized like he he comes to he comes to his senses. All right, maybe there are some parallels there, but <laughs> I mean I, I know I know it's a, I know it's a stretch, but I always take <laughs> a plan. Well, for, for, well, you're not far off for part of it, Bill. I don't know. There's just there's just something about a, a movie like this that kind of hits a lot of the high notes of the other side of uh, of war, not the combat, but sort of what happens after combat. And so I'll defer to Dan's expertise in some of these things, but I, but it, and, and I'll ask you the question, Dan. So did officers who were captured really associate that kindly with officers from the capturing party? Like were the Japanese really that ni- n- nice in quotes, but, but they really that nice to captured POWs. I mean, I've seen other war movies where other POW movies where you know, the POWs got the shit kicked out of them by ever by any, any, and they're walking in the camp. And this seems like a softer take on that. So I'm not, so I'm not quite sure. What do you think? Uh, I mean, it, it probably happened. It's dependent on the camp. Definitely more so in, in Europe with the Germans, there was more of a respect with the prisoners because there were so many, you know, Germans in England and so yeah. many more guys shot down. There was more of that respect for each other. Definitely different, different culture and everything in the Pacific for sure. So, I mean, that's probably a little, little much, but again, I think it just depends on where you were, if you got lucky or not. Which okay. came so. yeah, it could see, it seemed like in this movie, you could bribe the guards pretty easily with like, that was, that it was, yeah. Cause he, most of the guards were, these weren't frontline troops, you know, they were crappy troops for the most part, right? Guarding <laughs> the prisoners. So they were easily bribed. Yeah. That's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Cigarettes and, <laughs> Yeah, cheap, cheap shit. <laughs> it's, ster- it's hysterical. Yeah, so I'm really glad we got to do this movie again. I don't get to watch, you know, I don't own it. So when I saw it was on HBO, I was like, you know, hopefully it sticks around longer on this channel where we could do it for the uh, for the podcast. And when we kicked around the idea of doing like going back into the 70s, 60s, and 50s movies, I was like, I got to do this one. This has, this has to be yeah, definitely pick, a good so. choice. Yeah, great choice. I mean, it's an absolute classic. I mean, even if you don't like war movies or anything themed around war, I mean, this is a movie about honor, duty, loyalty, and conviction. And it's a good drama movie for what it is. You don't have to like the war or anything about war to like this movie. And I think that's nice. 
I think I think that's part of the uh, the everlasting nature of this movie. This could be set in a regular prison. If you think about the prison labor, you know, system of uh, of back in the old days in America, if you were to drop new new pe- new prisoners into a, a real prison, you know, hauling rocks and digging ditches, <laughs> you, you could, same idea. So, I mean, I think that the the overall concepts of this movie and that's and the theme of duty and honor and loyalty, I think, could fit in any any movie with a prisoner type theme. So, kudos. To this movie for for having that sort of lasting dramatic impact so next week to continue this ride of uh older movies we're going with tim's pick he is he's doing a, a thriller just like you dan not as old but it was in 1982 tim wants to do poltergeist apparently that's one of his favorites and if we all know tim he loves his 80s movies so we will older be doing... geist yes oh man <laughs> Been some have, been some time since I've seen that one. I have not seen Poltergeist in many years. I think that's on HBO Max too. I'll, have to, I'll let you guys know. But <laughs> I'm like 98% sure it is. So <laughs> next week we'll do that episode. As always, it was good seeing you guys. Glad we got on here to talk about this. You can be followed on all of our platforms, Spotify, and uh, you know all the usual suspects that I ramble off every single week. Thank you again for <laughs> everyone who subscribes, subscribes to us. And we will talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Thank you.